walk into this room at your own risk. Because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the super states that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the twilight zone. Hey guys, uh, this is a little odd because I feel like I'm like saying like, welcome back to another exciting special Halloween episode of A Conversation for One podcast. But I've been recording like pretty steadily uh i just haven't uploaded anything which is to you guys i'm sure you're like but we haven't seen anything and it's because i haven't uploaded anything um so i figured i would get this episode out though early for once usually the last two halloween episodes are hey it's halloween tomorrow um you know and uh it's Halloween tomorrow, and, and here's your episode. Enjoy watching, like, 20 movies in one day. So it's the 18th now. I figure, you know what, if I record it now, at least if I get it out in a day or two, you're going to have, you know, a week and a half to actually enjoy some of this stuff. Um, so right before we get into this very spooky special episode, um, just a little um, a background here, a little, um, I don't know, what, what do we call this usually? I can't remember, but just a little, uh, housekeeping. Sorry. Um, so for some quick housekeeping, I don't even remember what I was saying. Sorry. I just got a quick phone call there that I had to take. Um, yeah. So, um, right before we get into it, housekeeping. Oh my God. Can you tell I'm scatterbrained? So, um, I've been selling a ton of stuff on Good Guys Ties. It's been like blowing up. I'm like on Kijiji, Facebook, eBay, Amazon, and I'm doing pretty well. Again, another project that I'm like, all right, this takes precedence. Stocks are doing well. Uh, haven't done any reviews in a long time for like food. Uh, haven't been podcasting in a long time, but I'm sure it'll switch up soon enough. Either A, I'll find a new hobby or B, uh, I will resort back to one of the old ones. But Halloween, this this, uh, I, yeah, and it's just, it's been overwhelming. It's just been overwhelming, just to say the least. I've, uh, I went to get my DZ license and I didn't quite f- complete it. So there's still that to do. Just, it's literally so much on my plate. You add in like social life, girlfriend, um, just balancing sleep and working full time. It's always crazy. You guys have heard it all before. But what I was going to say is Halloween, this show is built around horror. This show is built around Halloween. It is, literally what has put the tent poles up for the show i couldn't miss it so that being said i have been a busy bee i honestly i haven't been doing too too much horror anything like but i I, you know what for you guys i managed to scrape some together so this uh, this is going to be a short but sweet episode so look forward to horror video games horror shows some horror movies maybe a horror short I don't know if I'm going to include it. it wasn't like the best um 
And then, of course, the stories. You guys love the stories. I always get compliments and, and um, requests for more stories. So there are going to be some stories. So without any further ado, guys, let us get, let us get into Halloween 2020 on a conversation for one podcast. Now, first things first, horror video games. When I actually did have some time at the beginning of this year, I really, really, really started playing some video games again. Um, it was right before and right during COVID when I just had like a butt ton of like um, time on my hands. Uh, I should have been using it for tons of other stuff, but I didn't. I actually took the time to relax and it was like the most freeing thing for at least the first week or two. Uh, and in that time, picked up some horror video games that were on sale, starting with the remake of Resident Evil 2. Now, if you guys have not played this, if you're not big horror um, people, horror video games, horror movies, um, this episode might not be for you, but if, especially if you're not a big horror video game person, I can't recommend this one enough, though, as like the good, um, I guess, gateway drug of a video game. Uh, it is very cinematic. It's the right amount of scary with the right amount of action. The story moves at a decent uh, pace. It's not too slow, not too quick, and it's a long game. I think you get easy like 10 hours out of it, which for a single player game with no multiplayer, 10 to 12 hours, longer. Obviously, I did much longer if you're A, dying a lot, B, looking for all the collectibles, and C, just like admiring everything um, or don't know how to play. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, the... I don't know. It's just... I'd never played the original Resident Evil 2, but like I was very familiar with it. Um, grew up as a gamer. Uh, grew up with the franchise. Um, very familiar with it. Uh, admittedly, my first Resident Evil was Resident Evil 4, which isn't is not the, a bad one to start off with either. But it's very different. Um, but this, um, it takes like the horror elements of the first few games, but it, it definitely gives it a more a next generation feel um, in terms of gameplay and in terms of style. And it's um, not over the show. What is it? It's not. Uh, what do they call that? Well, first of all, the tank controls are gone. So you're actually controlling, like I said, for a next generation console. It moves fluidly. It's actually fantastic. I can't compliment it enough. The Resident Evil engine that they use for that game. Oh, fantastic. The amount of detail, uh, precision. It's just flawless. No hiccups. It's wonderful. Um, but the other one had tank controls. So like left, right, forwards, backwards, no turning and stuff like that. Very difficult to do. But some people like that because that's what they grew up on. What was I gonna call? What is it called though? It's like top down, like basically like, it's, it's is it top down though? I don't remember what the camera style is in the old ones, but this is very um, third person, which I prefer to be perfectly honest. And boy, is that game unforgiving! Holy fuck! I was like, well, there's and they they try to make it that way so it is scarier. So your ammo is scarce. Your health gets knocked out quick, and there isn't, there's like almost no health packs for most of the game. In certain stretches, there's nothing, so good luck. The one thing that is nice though is there are lots of different places to save, and you can save unlimited when you do find them. Um, I remember reading when I, I got the game that a lot of people were saying um, that you used to have to get ink ribbons and that's what made each save that much more difficult. But honest to God, as somebody who's jumping into the series, if you only had like 10 saves for the whole game, fuck me, man, especially for your first playthrough, it's not happening. Um, but yeah, so ammo is scarce. So it's like unloading on zombies and this game is meant to be not realistic, but 
realistic in the sense that it's scary as in like you will not be able to kill every single zombie in fact you are going to have to play smart you are going to have to run past a lot of them uh you might have to take a hit in order to get past five zombies and it's like those kind of sacrifices that you have to make to get going i did not know this when i started playing and i was firing at every single thing not to kill but like still like one two shots okay they're on the ground we get past them one two shots run on the like and I was like, all right, this is like, I'll be saving ammo. And I was like, no, like you literally have to run past them because the one, two shot every single time. Oh, there's 15 bullets gone. I have no more ammo. And then, oh, here's something big. I have no more ammo. It's not a game that's like, oh, here's a minigun. Take care of these. Um, although I did play it again for a second time. And this is kind of beating, the, beating around the bush here and getting to the end end of the story. But I paid for all the extras and I played the whole game with the minigun. Oh my God. I flew through the game. I beat that whole game in like three hours. It was insane. But, um, so originally though, I was like, okay, I'm out of ammo. I'll use my knife. Cause usually, especially cause I, I was only really custom with, um, Resident Evil four and five beforehand. So it's like, all right, I have a knife. If I just keep with the knife, I'll be golden. I'll be golden. It'll just, you know, I'll pick off all the zombies. I'll be fine. Not the case, not the case in this game. I did one, two, three, killed those zombies. I was like, all right, this is going to be what I'm going to do. And I stabbed a zombie cause that's like kind of like the cut, um, the quick time and the knife was gone. And then I no longer had a knife. And then not only did I have no ammo, I had no knife. And I had like almost, I think I had maybe one green herb, which is like the smallest health you can get. Sweet, merciful Christ, was that game scary. Um, and I remember talking to, uh, on Instagram, you can find him, uh, Sam. It's uh, Manic Horror Reviews. Make sure to check him out. He's been on the, uh, the podcast before when we did Perfect Horror. Great, great person. Um, and he was basically saying like, yeah, this game is hard as fuck and it's enjoyable, but like it does not go easy on you. But at the same time, it's not taxing. That's why I'm recommending this game. It is not like it's, we're not playing Demon Souls or Dark Souls where it's like the game's like meant to be as hard as fuck. And it also has it. Um, I'm not sure, actually. Maybe this game has it as well, because I know some Resident Evils do, where if you pick like medium or hard, it'll slowly adapt it. So like if you're on medium and you're doing too well, it'll make the game a little harder. But if you're on medium and you're doing very badly it'll make the game a little easier very insultingly though it will ask you like you sure you don't wanna you sure you don't wanna you know change the difficulty settings because you've died twice now and it's like fuck off fuck off i'm gonna do this fantastic stories all the character models look great i really really wanted to play resident evil 3 but then when i saw it, it's like a literally on like the normal difficulty like the normal playthrough is five hours or I was like, no, I'm not paying $80 for that. And I keep waiting for it to go on sale. And on PS4, it's gone on sale like once, but it's like 15 or $20 off. And it's like, no, I'll wait for like the 50% or something crazy. But so far it hasn't happened. But rolling on, I was like, man, this is good. I should check out Resident Evil 1 because they made a remake way back in the day for the GameCube that a lot of people really enjoyed because it took all the elements from the first one from PlayStation 1 and again, upgraded it for the time, which are now a little dated, but still looked great. And I couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Couldn't find it because I thought originally on my PS4 that I had the Resident Evil from PS1, I know TMI, but it was actually the remake. So I started playing that and fuck me up was that hard. I was like, oh yeah, like Resident Evil 2 is a little bit harder, but you go back to playing the remake one, like Resident Evil 1, it does not have the same controls. It is tank style again. 
Oh my god, was that hard. I played it for a while. I got maybe, I don't know, let's be generous and say I got 35% done the game. I couldn't do it, but fuck, was it scary? And still, it held up. It held up. So if you are digging Resident Evil 2 and you haven't, you know, you don't have enough money to pony up the dough, at one point, to be honest, because I always go way too hard. Is if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm always like, oh, I love this thing. I'm just gonna dive head first into it without any second second guessing or contemplation. So Resident Evil, all of them, like Code Veronica, even and um, uh, the spinoffs, all the way up to seven. I'm pretty sure they were all on sale and like a disgusting sale. So I think I picked up every one of those games for like seven dollars. So I got now I have like Resident Evil 1, 2, I might have 4, but I might also might not because Resident Evil 4 on the Wii is fantastic. So I, I don't ever really want a different version, but I'm pretty sure I picked up 5, 6, and 7. And I think I spent $24 or something like that. Oh, and I got zero. Oh my gosh, I bought way too many. So if you like Resident Evil, there's lots to play. Um... But of those two, Resident Evil 2 for sure, fantastic. Resident Evil 1, amazing. Uh, And then also, too, I got into a game. I'm a huge Bioshock fan. Why I haven't made an episode on it yet, I'm not quite sure. But um, I love the first game. And but it's, uh, again, controversial. The second game is my ultimate. Uh, It's my favorite, favorite game. But I love the, the gameplay. I love the style, the architecture of, like, the world they've created, the aesthetic, that very 1940s art deco. You throw in a little everything from 1920s to 1960s, like jazz and big band music. I'm all about it. And um, so then I started seeing stuff for actually further back. They released Cuphead, which is like a it was an Xbox One shooter, um, but it was like um, rubber band cartoon style from like the 30s and 40s, maybe even 20s, but let's just say 30s and 40s. And I was like waiting and waiting and waiting. It was getting released for everything, even on Switch first, I'm pretty sure. And then finally PS4 was getting it. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I don't know what happened, but I think it might have been recommended when I clicked on it. And it was like Bendy and the Ink Machine. And so I looked it up and it is fantastic. It is, it is like, it's almost like a nightmare version of Walt Disney. That's kind of like the worst way to describe it, but it is true and thrown in with like satanic, demons and also uh, Bioshock gameplay and style. Basically, you're this illustrator. Oh, yeah, I didn't even explain what Resident Evil 2 is. So if you're unfamiliar at all with Resident Evil 2, you, you can either play, and that's the other cool thing, which I didn't talk about. You can, there's two different stories. There are key elements that you will share, but you're playing out two different characters in the same night. So you either play as Claire Redfield, who's the, do- uh, the sister, almost a daughter, of... Uh, Claire Redfield is the sister of Chris Redfield, who is the one of the stars leader, which is like their SWAT team for Raccoon City, which you're in. Uh, and he's missing, so she's going there to look for him. At the same time, she bumps into Leon Kennedy. Both of these characters are very famous, Leon arguably more so. Uh, and it's his first day on the force for Raccoon City, and they basically fall into this, um, this zombie invasion. Uh, and they go into Raccoon City, and they split up. And they, they meet again in different portions of time, but uh, Leon leads him basically through like the lab and stuff like that, and uh, through the police station more so. Through the police station, what's his key scene? The sewers, I'm pretty sure. Leon goes through the sewers, uh, which is kind of cool, and there's like weird mutants down there. And then Claire goes through like the orphanage, which is 
really fucked up the way they did it for this one. But uh, so yeah, there's it's a cool story. Back to Andy, uh, Andy. Oh my god, back to Bendy. Two Bs. It's um, it it is a little odd to wrap your head around, but it's fine because like the person should be a lot older than they are, but it doesn't seem like that when you're playing it. So you're this illustrator, cartoonist, I guess, um, who works for this like up and coming, not so much Disney as it is like a Flesher Studios or um, what's the other one? Flesher and uh, uh, God, I can't think of the other one. Anyway, so you're, it's like, I want to say MGM, but it's not MGM. Anywho, so think like Betty Boop. Uh, Popeye the Sailor, Felix the Cat, um, Bobo, uh, Bobo and Coco the Clown, and, uh, you know, even, like, Oswald the Rabbit, and, like, early, um, Merry Melodies and Silly Symphonies, that sort of stuff. It's that kind of character animation. But anyways, so, you used to work there, and you get a letter from your old boss, uh, and he's saying, hey, uh, something's crazy crazy is going on at the old studio and I'd love for you to see it and you go back there and not only is the studio abandoned but there's a lot of weird stuff happening and there's like um, weird sounds weird things popping up and jump scares and there's just ink all over the place and then you find out that basically this guy has sold his soul to this ink machine and this ink machine has basically made all of his characters come to life and it has basically consumed the studio um, brought some of the cartoon characters to life mixed with demons and real people have died and real characters are being like salvaged and sacrificed and it's really fucked up and honestly I was like probably like 70% done the game and then I just kind of ran out of time so then I just watched the ending which is like ugh, it is sacrilegious and I feel disgusting and dirty just even saying that but there it is it is fantastic it's a little stiff in the controls but the story and the atmosphere is great especially for like this little indie budget game oh my gosh i can't recommend it enough i recommended it to one friend and he's like yeah somebody's been telling me about it for forever i'm just not really on board with it but you know what fuck that noise like honestly i can't recommend it enough they're making a new sequel for it and it's like you can tell all the money they made from this game it's just absolutely polished it looks so so much better not that the graphics were like a make or break for me but you can tell they're pouring their heart and soul in it and they got a lot more money going into it it's a franchise to definitely check out for halloween it's a little bit more on the scarier side but it's fun especially if you're into like disney stuff or history or film just even like the film um i almost said film franchise but like um the film industry i guess is probably better um so yeah that i played that quite a bit so i i yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, I would recommend Resident Evil 2 more so. Uh, and then if you're not really vibing on Resident Evil 2, check out Bendy. It's a first-person game. It has its moments where it's pretty hard, but if you're like me, there's tons of collectibles in there. There's tons of little tons of little like trinkets and Easter eggs and stuff like that. Really fun. Um, shorter, shorter game. If you suck, it's a shorter game. Or if you suck, it's a longer game. If you're good, it's a shorter game. I think you could probably blow through it in like, I don't know, four or five hours maybe. Maybe longer, who knows. Um, but apparently it was released in installments in the beginning. But you can just buy it all as one game now. I think the first installment might be free. So honestly, check it out that way. Really, really cool. Um, and then I uh, was dabbling for a while with Friday the 13th. 
and uh, that video game and Dead by Daylight. I've talked about both of these before in past episodes. But Friday the 13th breaks my heart a little bit because of the lawsuit. So if you're a horror fan, you're probably well aware that Friday the 13th has been this like long, long, long drawn out uh, lawsuit. Basically, like, who owns the rights? Is it Sean Cunningham? Is it Paramount? Is it uh, the guy who wrote the movie? It's this whole just fucking clusterfuck and then also to like paramount sold the rights to uh, new line and then new line gave the rights back to paramount for the international rights to interstellar from christopher nolan but then for some reason it was a timed exclusive that they gave it back so now it's back with new line then it's also still with paramount sean Cunningham thinks it's all for him it is literally a mess so the powers that be granted the these developers the actual license it was going to be called camp blood or I don't know, like, I don't know, s- slasher slumber party or whatever it's going to be called. I'm pretty sure it's going to be called Camp Blood. And uh, but they got the the rights and the licensing for Friday the 13th. I don't know if I've told this story before, but just humor, humor an old man, if you will. Um, and um, they were adding tons of skins that like doing tons of updates, patches, lots and lots of cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, because the lawsuit came to like a head, they weren't allowed to do any more um, with it. So no more DLC, which was like really awful because there's this amazing mini game in there where you're basically breaking the the, the system, like the computer system, because it's all supposed to be like a virtual reality thing. So you're breaking that system and uh, you, f- you go down to the basement and there's a museum. And in the museum, it shows you a bunch of character models that A, should be available. So there's like... Um, there's stuff that's in the game which to me makes zero sense as to why you can't play with them because they're already in the game so why you couldn't make an update just release it for free like don't charge money it would still like just draw people to buy the game if there is something new i don't know why so they're allowed to do updates for the game uh, patches coding that sort of shit but they can't do real updates like adding new character models or something even if it's for free which blows my mind so in the game it's basically says like coming soon it's like jason x like uber space jason which is fantastic they have the model it's done why why they couldn't actually just put it in the game as a playable character is beyond me and then there was the um tom savini um like hell jason which was amazing and like certain people have it but now the majority of people can't get it which I get it. It's like an exclusive thing and stuff. But if no one's playing the game because there's no more updates, then it's not going to fucking matter if there is or isn't that skin. So why, again, why they couldn't do that. Having like Kid Jason or what was the other one they had? Uh, I think it was nine. Maybe Jason goes to hell. I don't know if that's character skins actually in the game or not. I'm sure it is. And then again, they had like retro Jason, which again, why can't we get that? It was a timed exclusive throw that shit in say it's free for everybody people will start playing the game again tell their friends get the game you're getting more people to play the game like i don't know why they wouldn't do that so there's got to be some sort of underlying reason why they can't do that sort of thing but um they definitely could have did a lot more too right you could have included stuff like uh freddy versus jason jason or um remake jason which is a really cool it's like an amalgamation of like the first four versions well first three i guess because he's not in the first movie um but then they also had the character model like i said for like kid jason you imagine how fucking creepy that would be just seeing this little like character model running through the woods to kill you um but yeah there's that's it there's no more animations there's no more added kills uh, no more counselors, no new outfits. Uh, the, the updates, like I said, are very minimal. It's like 
It's no new maps. It's just tech stuff. So it is a bit disappointing because you can tell they put a lot of heart into it. The game itself looks like it's from PS3, which is sad. But again, graphics aren't everything. Um, you can tell like they put heart into it and it's like an absolute love letter to the fans, especially when you're playing the, that mini game thing I was talking about that like breaks the system. You can tell like the people that are creating this, they love, 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 love. They love a the Friday, the 13th community, the horror community in general. And just like, I don't know the amount of detail they pay attention to. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. So it is a little bit crushing, especially knowing that every other slasher in the in like the game, like in the in like the horror game, is in Dead by Daylight, which that game is still plugging ahead. Um, you've got everything from Freddy Krueger, uh, Ghostface, uh, Leatherface, uh, the Demi Gorgon from Stranger Things. You've got tons of original characters. You've got Michael Myers, which is a lot of reasons. Uh, which was a huge reason why people actually got into the game in the first place. Cause that was like the first, I'm pretty sure anyways, the first um, licensed character they put in there and it's really, really good. It's just fuck like take a note from Friday, at least with Friday the 13th, you can do like practice. You can play by yourself. You can play with bots. You can just go around. You can look it over and everything. They don't have that mode. So you can buy all of these characters in dead by daylight. You can be invested in all the new stories. You can get all the maps. You could get really good at it and play it with your friends. But let's say, like, you just want to practice or you just want to try out stuff. Fuck you. They do not have a single player. Not that you need a single player, but they don't even have, like, turn on bots or just, you know, um, just to fuck around. It would be such a simple mode to throw in, but they don't do it. And to me, that's like a, it's a deal breaker because... There's nothing worse than going into a, a game that's already got its veterans and it's like um, accomplished players when you don't have any fucking idea how to play. And then like your track record is just dog shit because you're not jumping into this game brand new like everybody else. You're jumping into this game playing with people and the people that are still playing this game. Sure, it is. It's amazing Like they're still doing updates and they're still um, adding stuff. Nothing for free, of course. There's a few few things that are now for free, but everything now is always six to $15 if you want uh, new characters, new maps. So it's not like they're doing it completely out of the goodness of their heart. But uh, the people that are still invested and still playing this game, because it's like from 2017, like we're, we're pushing like almost a four-year-old game here. They're not new players. Uh, they're not. Unless you're getting like a few people are like, oh my God, I can't get enough ghost face me. And you buy that the character model without even having the game. Um it's it's rare and few in between so it's just it would just be really i don't know and i i think you can establish parties which is kind of nice like if i wanted to play with some friends i think you can establish a party um but the again the amount of people that actually own the game not great so uh that would be my only thing i would change so both of those games are online only and uh no new free content coming out on either uh, Friday, no new content at all. Dead by Daylight, like I said, tons of content coming out, but it's, none of it's free and it's not affordable either. It's like none of it's like $5 for this character. It's a lot more than that. The cheapest one I think was Leatherface and that was like 6 or $7 Canadian, um, mind you. Um, but yeah, other than that, I haven't really played any horror video games that I can think of. Um, yeah, nothing's coming to mind, but I was deathly afraid playing Bendy a couple times, like 
cowering and playing. I only play these games with the lights on, people. I'm not a hero. Um, but those are definitely ones I would recommend. Again, this is going to be a short and sweet episode, but uh, if you haven't played those games, try them out. So now moving on to shows, I think I spoke about it in the first uh, Halloween episode we did here. So 2018? 2018? Have I done a few of these episodes now? How long have I been doing this show? Anyways, uh, I talked about the first season of The Exorcist, which is fantastic. It picks up right basically where the original series left off. Um, Going back to seeing Reagan. Really cool. Um, And then they did a second season, which is neat. I really enjoyed how they did it because you still have the two central characters and their backstory going on. So like what's going on with the church, like all the exorcists, stuff like that. But completely new set of characters. You have John Cho, who I love. I can't get enough of him. Everything he's in, I think is fantastic. Very underrated actor. Um, Still have to see him in The Grudge. But I I like him in basically everything I've seen him in. If... um, what was that movie that he was in? Oh, it just came to mind right now, so I don't even have it written down. But it's basically the one where his daughter gets taken and he has to find her. If you haven't seen it, look up John Cho. It's fantastic. Searching, I think it might be called. Yes, Searching. Oh, fantastic movie. But anyways, he plays Andy, who is this foster dad to a bunch of not delinquents, but just basically like outsider type kids. You've got like a very big kid named Truck. Um, you've got this very like religious, like, um, I think he might be one of the older ones. So you have this, like this girl, I'm pretty sure she identifies as, uh, I think at one point they, they says, she said that she's lesbian. It doesn't play into it, but basically they, they, they fill out the diversity. So you have this like white girl who's, who's, I think she's bi or lesbian. You have this like big, big white kid. Um, you have like a very religious black kid and then you have a very small, um, white kid who's blind. So it checks a lot of boxes there, but it doesn't matter. They all, they're all functional family and it doesn't, well, it doesn't, it doesn't, but it's very small. Um, um, I guess I don't even know where I'm going. It, it doesn't really factor into the show so, so much, but basically he's this foster parent to them. And they're in this weird island. It's supposed to be in Seattle, but like if you're from Canada, you know they're straight up in BC. You keep, God forbid they ever go to Canada and show and say we're in Canada. Um, but it's this like secluded island that has like a, a ghost story that involves a witch. Basically, this this house, um, the residents on the island boarded it up and they threw her in a well or something like that. Anyways, it's like this like urban legend thing. <coughs> And the kids basically like they conjure it up and whether that has anything to do with the actual demon or if it was a demon that was in the house long before, um, there is, um, multiple exorcisms in the show. It feels like you're watching more than you are. If that makes sense. The first three episodes, they're really establishing a lot. Like they're taking a long time. And then by like the fourth episode, fifth episode, they're still like establishing shit. And you're like, Oh my God, we haven't seen anything yet. They sprinkle a little bit here and there, but I felt in the first season, they did a lot more, but fuck me. Once, once the season gets going, like on episode six, seven, and it's not like the first three to five episodes, whatever are a slog. Cause they're not, they're very enjoyable to watch, but you're not getting any exorcist action yet. 
you're establishing how the priest got there, what happened. There is like some fucked up shit that happens and scary stuff. Don't get me wrong. But there isn't really so much exorcist stuff happening. Just like a lot of like human scary stuff. Um, real world scary stuff. And uh, But once like the demon or um, whatever it is, um, spirit takes hold and starts like messing with things. Oh my God. It just amps up and up, up and up and up and just really gets going. Um and it's not the ending you're expecting. I'm not going to say like what exactly happens, but it's like, it's not Disney. That's for sure. Um, it just makes me extremely bitter to think that like they didn't keep going because they were setting up such like this huge world. Um, if they at least gotten one more season or even like a TV movie to just wrap it up, so much was happening at the end and you're like, holy fuck, holy fuck. I can't wait for more. And that is like, honestly the tragedy with like a lot of TV shows like that. Like it's just, I don't know if it's so much that it's too niche or that it's too dark, but it, uh, I guess it just didn't hit well enough with audiences and God forbid now, like if it was still on TV, like it would have been axed because Disney can't afford to have shit like that. Honestly, one of the worst parts of the Fox merger was them dipping their fingers into everything that was Fox. Um, yeah so like because fox to me was one of the edgier studios like it would be warner brothers and fox fox was kind of like the dirtier edgier studio and then warner brothers would do like some more swearing more titties universal it's just it's all over the place universal to me is very factory just as much as disney um but yeah that show wouldn't have lasted anyways and it's pretty buried right like i think if netflix takes it off i have no idea where they're ever going to show that again but it is on Netflix. You can watch the first two seasons on Canadian Netflix. At least I don't know if it's on American. I would have to assume, but maybe it'll be on like Hulu or something. Hard to say. Um, but it was fantastic. And then just a quick mention here: I did a full episode on it. Uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead, or I think it's just Ash versus Evil Dead. Oh my gosh! I watched that whole thing in a matter of days. Um, it's not very long. It's like maybe eight episodes a season or 10 episodes a season. Oh, and it's fantastic. Bruce Campbell kills it. If you want to hear more about it, I do. That was one of my latest episodes was on that. So check that out. Um, I think I was pretty wild on that too. I was like hopped up on coffee when I was like reviewing the second half of that. Check it out. It is a fantastic show. That too is on Netflix currently, Canadian Netflix. I have to clarify because I have gotten um, messages from people like from time to time where it's like, you said this was on this, but it isn't. And A, sometimes stuff gets taken off streaming services. And B, I never, like you never, like it sounds very American, but I never think outside of myself when it comes to like that sort of thing. You just go, yeah, it's on this TV or it's on this TV, it's on this station or yeah, like it's on this streaming service or it's in theaters here. So you never really think about that, eh? But uh, yeah, so it's on Canadian Netflix. I'm sure it's on American Netflix. It's a Stars original, so maybe on Amazon Prime for America. Hard to say. Check that one out. Speaking of, though, um, exclusives and stuff, if you guys don't have Shutter, I can't recommend it enough. Um, they have uh, all of Channel Zero on there, which is fantastic. Just a fantastic show. The first season, I know I talked about this, the first season was a bit rough, but every other season after that just gets better and better. And basically in those shows, they tackle a, a creepypasta story and they actually make it fully fledged and they, you know, they don't Netflix um, live action it, if you will. It's very faithful and they take only the best liberties with it. But um, that being said, they have tons of shows that are um, 
um, documentary style. And if you're just, if you're not in the mood to be like scared, but you just want like some good horror vibes, uh, you have to check out, um, Eli Roth's history of horror. Um, they're fantastic. The first season I watched twice and I listened to the podcast. Basically, he's just going over like types of movies, um, genres, years of film, that sort of stuff. And you're getting everybody from bit players and movies, like just small little actors that are giving their part, the sound guys, um, the editors. You have a few directors in there, producers. You just have film critics. You have everybody that's just been touched by or is involved in or just people that just want to speak their their piece right and you're going to have tons of people in there that are telling you new stuff they're going to be relating with you and it's just a perfect amount of like clips from the movies and deeper uh, context as to why they did what they did and so on and so forth and what they were drawing off of like tons of guys that are now making movies or drawing off movies from like like 90s 80s 70s movies maybe 60s and like they're like you know we're really going back and then you have like guys not to say that they're not drawing from later movies too like earlier I guess earlier movies. Um, but then the guys that are doing their stuff is like, yeah, I was drawn off. Like, you know, it's very like George Lucas, like Flash Gordon. Like people like they don't really remember Flash Gordon, but I do. So that's what I drew this off of. But that's what they're doing. Like very much like how Nosferatu like rose out of the grave. We really wanted that to be in our movie, or like, yeah, like it. It all comes back to like the like the what is it the gallery room work or whatever, or um, oh, what is it? It's not is it the man who laughs? might be i i think i'm butchering it but they'll even it's just it's like it's everything and if you're a horror nut and like you are just you love that community and you love everything about um especially horror history which i enjoy personally that's what i'm drawn to is the story the lore the character development um just the history of it uh fantastic the second season's out now and they're really um i think it might be done if they're not wrapping it up soon another good one was um I think it was called Horror Noir, and that was just like black history, uh, the black horror history, um, which is good too. But it's just it's a movie. I don't. I was really thinking it was going to be a series, but it's just a movie. Um, but if you're looking for a series, something that's like a lot longer. Um, also, too, another good one was Cursed, and that deals with five, six maybe episodes, and it's talking about movies that are often thought of or are. Um, I guess coined as being cursed, whether it's from, um, you know, the pre-production, the production, um, the actual like filming post, um, what's happened to people who have watched it, like after it was done or stuff that's happened to people after they were filming it. And it goes into like everything. And you can see some of these people are like weeping, like with some of the stuff, like you can tell, like the cast has felt the effects of this not like just from people like screaming at them or something like that but like stuff actually happening to them everything from the crow which is a film i want to talk about on the show soon um like uh, brandon lee's death like people are like tearing up talking about it like they're still traumatized by it to um oh what's his name now i can't think of the guy's name Gosh, and it's going to come to me after, obviously, after I'm done the episode. But the um, the person who died on uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, basically what happened with him was, if you haven't heard this story, because Twilight Zone, the movie, isn't really well shown. It, like, it isn't well known, A, to a lot of people, especially if you don't like Twilight Zone. It's not widely accessible. It's like not on streaming services. I, I think it might have had one out of print Blu-ray release. Um, it's never like shown on TV. It's just, it's just 
it's just shunned, which is too bad because it's Steven Spielberg produced. You've got um, Joe Dante directs a segment. Um, who's the other one? I want to say it's Toby Hooper, but I might be wrong there. And then obviously I think Spielberg directs one. And then uh, John Landis is the one who directs his last one, which is often where um, the film is regarded as cursed. I keep wanting to say like Barrymore, but I don't know. I don't think it is. But anywho, uh, this guy, um, this bigot is um, brought back to basically Vietnam and uh, brought to Vietnam. Honestly, I haven't seen the movie. I've only seen the Joe Dante segment because I'm a big uh, Joe Dante guy. But um, basically, John Landis was just nuts. And he just kept saying, no, I want I want the explosion to be bigger. I want the helicopter to get in closer. And like the, the set designer was like, no, we can't do it like this. It's not built for that. Like, no, no, no. And basically, the helicopter got too low. And the explosion was too big. And the helicopter couldn't stay up. And the helicopter... Oh, and the other thing was this guy was running with two kids i'm pretty sure they were twins and um basically working well past the the working hours the legal working hours for california for these kids um to be working it was like at midnight or two in the morning or something ridiculous like that and so these parents had both of their kids both of them and they were out there and the helicopter came down and it killed them like the blades killed them all three of these people on impact just immediately um, and it was this huge legal battle because there were so many safety precautions that were broken, so many laws that were broken, work, like working labor laws and stuff like that, obviously murder. Um, and I guess the repercussions is like, is often what is regarded this film as being cursed because basically whole careers were ended, lives were ended. Um, the film tanked in the theater. It, like a lot of people never recovered from it. And it's just, I don't know. I found that personally interesting. They, in the in the series, they talk about the Exorcist, the Omen, Poltergeist, um, the Crow, Twilight Zone, the movie, and I feel like there's one other one that I can't think of quite yet, uh, quite right now. But um, maybe that's all of them. And it was fantastic. It was fantastic, especially so if you if you want like some some spookies without getting scared, it is a great show to kind of put you in the mood. Um, other than that, I don't uh, horror shows. No, nope, I didn't. Uh, yeah, so that's all. That's all for horror shows. If anything comes to mind, I will splice it in here before I release it. But uh, yeah, so if you're into kind of like a documentary vibe, check out those. Uh, Exorcist, I can't recommend it enough. Definitely watch the first season first. Um, Ash vs. Evil Dead, the whole series. It's only three seasons. It's a crime. Both of those shows is a crime. They got canceled. Uh, and yeah, moving on now to movies. So for Halloween movies, um, usually I have something. Usually I've been just binging the shit out of horror movies. This year, not the case. In fact, I can't remember the last really horror movies I watched. I saw um, The Invisible Man in theaters. That was the last movie I, I saw in theaters and literally like weeks before they closed, if even weeks, closed the theaters like, nationwide, um, which was pretty good. It was honestly pretty good. Um, definitely not the movie I wanted it to be nor the movie that I had hoped it it, it, it could have been uh, and I, I didn't care for the ending whatsoever whatsoever and um, they don't give 
they didn't give a lot of reason as to why this guy would constantly want Elizabeth Moss of all people. Uh, not like saying her looks or anything, but it's just like, you get it. Like he's possessive and he's like controlling, but at the same time, like, it's like, I don't know. I just never bought it, but the effects were cool. It just shows you like how much you can honestly do for a universal monster movie with like the, with a smaller, more like conservative budget. Um, it didn't lean into anything. So I guess they're going to do, I don't need it to be an overarching like narrative or like universe, but like it just, she, she walks away or spoiler, but like basically she, she does live, go figure the heroine lives. Um, but I don't know. I honestly don't know. It just, it, it was a cool ending and the movie had some cool concepts and, and stuff, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the series, but I, I, I wouldn't have recommended it. Like I've talked about it more just now, just by thinking about it than I was planning on doing. Cause I, like I said, a great movie in its own right. I, I suppose I would only say like it was good, right? Like I, I honestly wouldn't watch it again, but it was, it was definitely a good watch. Um, but the movies I did see, I finally got around to watching Train to Busan. People have been saying, you got to watch this thing. It's been on my list. I'd asked the girlfriend so long, hey, can we watch it? Can we watch it? It's supposed to be good. And me being a gentleman, I was always like, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Because she was always like, no, no, no. Come to find out. She's just, I don't really want to watch a foreign movie. And like, I don't really want to watch a Korean movie specifically. It's zombies, not really my thing. And I was like, holy fuck. But eventually she, I don't know what happened, just had a good day and was like, yeah, let's throw it on. And it was fantastic. At first I was like, ah, it's just going to be a zombie movie. Like, you know, it's kind of like running the mill. Like how much can you really do with it? But by the end I was like, fuck, well, like, it is such a tense. They did it perfectly where it was, it was like stressful and tense. And you're just kind of hoping like they get through. And at first they kind of have a big crowd. There's a big group of them. Like the survivors, usually there's like maybe five or 10 survivors and they all have their part. And by the end, you know, like the, the ruthless ones either have like this moment where they, they have a clear head and they do something righteous or, you know, like a, like an awful death or something like that. But each one is like a heroic sacrifice. Not the case. It was like halfway, more than halfway through the movie. We had like a huge number of people. We had like 50 people alive. Then we're down to like 20 people. And then we're down to like 10 and you're like, all right, these 10, they got to make it. Like we've gone to this part of the movie, like they got to make it in one way or another. There might be one or two more deaths. Nope, nope, nope. You do not expect who lives. Like, by the end, you're not expecting the person's persons. That's what I mean. I can't even remember, but I wasn't expecting it. Like, you're following all these people, and you're like, yeah, definitely, like, at least these five are going to make it. Uh, you would be wrong. It's not who you think is going to make it who makes it. And um, then the ending, the, the ending, you're like, it comes full circle and you think something awful is going to happen. If you want to watch this movie, like I don't want to ruin it for you. If, if you have seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about? Cause at first the girlfriend was like, why is this happening? I was like, cause that's what they were talking about at the beginning. Clearly she wasn't paying attention and it's what honestly saves them at the end. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what a, what a beauty. And apparently the, the sequels out peninsula and there's a, an animated sequel out as well. They're all on shutter. I'm pretty sure train to busan's just on regular amazon prime as well so check that out it was on netflix at one point but i think it's gone now but you it is on amazon prime if you want to go through legal means excuse me um yeah what was i saying 
sorry, I had like a yawn and my brain reset. Oh yeah, so in the movie, so basically they're all going on the train for one reason or another. And this train, I don't know how. So like with normal people, the conductor, not the conductor, but I guess the, um, what are they even called? Like ushers almost, or like, I don't know. They're like the employees that like, not the ticket, ticket people, but maybe the doorsmen. I don't know. They are like harsh. Like, nope, you're not getting on without a ticket. This bum's on here, blah, 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 blah. But this chick who's got like this like limp and like this awful leg wound, just like screaming and crying, somehow manages to get on this train. I don't know how. But the the main scene that's like, you know, this movie is about to take off is when the train finally gets going. You see like a couple people running like, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, uh, or no, actually the first scene is you're seeing the... the I keep wanting to say conductor, but it's not conductor. You're seeing like um, the people that are given like the okay for the train to get going, just getting absolutely jumped and ripped apart by the zombies. The train's starting to pull away. And you see a similar scene again in the film when um, the train's getting to a station and they're all like, don't stop, don't stop. And all these people are like, please, 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 please. And when they don't stop, it's like, that was like their last bit of time that they had to maybe be safe. Um, and then all of the zombies break free from like the hold or the barricade, whatever they had, keeping them at bay. And they just absolutely ripped apart and decimated. And you're like, holy fuck. There's never a point in the movie where you're like, yeah, you know what? It might get better. <laughs> Which is fantastic because it's like you're on a train. So your options are limited for what you can do. But for some reason, they just they never felt limited. They'd stop off somewhere or they'd have to get from one train to the next or, you know, it was just fantastic. And uh, all the praise it got, it's definitely worth it. If you can stomach a foreign movie, God forbid, God forbid you have to read subtitles to get an amazing story. It is one of the best. And you can see why it got the praise it did. Um, Korean cinema has just been exploding lately um, with that and, and Parasite in like the public eye, at least. I've watched Korean films for some time now. Not to be like, not to shove the glasses up and be a snob, but there's tons of good stories like elsewhere, you know, um, I've talked about this before in previous episodes that like foreign horror is like, is right up there because horror is something like fear is something everybody feels. Humor is different for everybody. Um, but fear is, is relatively the same. It's a primal thing we feel. So if you can draw off of it, it's not usually like a cultural thing. It is like a very instinctual thing. And that's why horror works so well. So if you can get past the reading thing, it's almost always for, it's almost always a win, um, for you as the viewer. Um, and then on a very different note, very different note, we're not even talking horror so much anymore. I watched Casper as in Casper, the friendly ghost as in Casper from 1995. And if you have a kid, I honestly wouldn't even recommend it because, and it's not for the reason you're thinking. It's because of, holy fuck, what a gut punch. It was just the saddest fucking movie. Like, I didn't cry, but I could feel it coming on. You know, like my eyes were getting overwhelmed. I think it's just like the whole being an adult thing and like real world scenarios and like real world implications and um, consequences resonate with you a lot more as you get older. Like when you're a kid, you're like, whatever. Um, or if you're like a young adult, you're like, whatever. But like, as you're in like an adult, as you're like getting older and you're like, uh, people your age are having kids. Maybe you're having kids soon, like money. A lot of people in your life are starting to die and pass away. And you're like, you're reevaluating how precious life is and stuff like that. So the premise of Casper 
and it is old as time. It's from the comics. It's from the cartoons. Is well, in the originally he's a ghost, just a ghost. He's just a spirit from something. Um, but in this movie, he's actually a, a boy who dies, which makes it that much more sad. But the premise is, like the the gag is that Casper is so lonely. And this is what's funny to people in the 30s and 40s and 50s is this ghost is so lonely and he's a friendly ghost that he just wants anything to be his friend, anything or anyone. He's just so lonely. And anytime he sees something or sees someone and says, hey, will you be my friend? Can I keep you forever? They just scream ghost and they either run off a cliff or run into a car or run into their house or... I don't know. It's just anything to get away from this thing. It's a ghost. And then Casper is left alone to sit on a rock and cry. And people are just slapping their knee in the 40s and 50s like, oh, fuck, what a good one. <laughs> but like me seeing that, I'm like, fuck, that's depressing, man. That is so depressing. So what did they do in the 90s? They took a darker interpretation. Go figure. Shocker. As they did from like the late 80s to early 90s. Everything had to be a dark, more realistic take. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it happens happens every decade where they have to do something a little darker or a little different than what it originally was. It's not like just a, a gritty DC superhero thing. Like it happens, it's happened for a long time, but, um, um, first of all, cool cameos. Let's just do a shout out here before they have, um, the priest from SNL. The name escapes me right now. If you're an SNL buff, then you'll know him. I know of him from other things, but I can't think of his name. And then they have Ray stance stance. Ray Stance, right? Not Stats. Stance. From Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd. And literally has the outfit on. Has the name badge. Says, who are you going to call? Somebody else. Trying to get rid of the troublesome trio or whatever they're called. Basically Casper's uncles. You know, like stinky... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know their name. I don't know their names. But um, basically they get Bill Pullman and Christina Ritchie. They are... He is a ghost... Um, psychologist psychiatrist and uh he's supposed to go in there and get rid of the ghosts because um kathy moriarty moriarty and uh uh the guy from monty python his name escapes me right now son of a bitch he's in figments uh he's in the ride with figment oh my god eric oh, eric idol anyways Basically, they want this house, but they, they don't want to deal with the ghosts. So they go in there, and Casper basically engineers this whole thing so he can have a friend. And he just so desperately wants to keep her. And they find out in the basement that um, they find out, A, how Casper died, which was sad as fuck. Let me just run it through, uh, run through this for you. So it's like 1910, and it's just him and his dad in the house. In this huge house, by the way. This house is fucking ginormous. So like, as a as a kid watching it, I'd get it. Like, whoa, what a big spooky house! But like me as an adult looking, like Jesus Christ, the ceilings on this thing. Like it's a big fucking house. But anyways, um, he desperately wants this sled, and he wants it so bad. And his dad gets in the sled, and he's like, I know I was out there too long, but I just wanted to keep going, keep going. And then it got dark. And then it got wet, and then I got sick. So basically, Casper is just on a sled, and he's just having fun as a kid. He's just having fun. Can't blame him. All kids want to do is have fun. Like, they don't bore, and they don't want to sleep, they don't do anything. So he's having fun. He gets a little wet, gets a little dark, and he's pretty far out from the house. He gets back to the house, and he's sick. He's like, I was sick. Dad was sad. 
And um, so basically he dies of pneumonia, which is devastating. I'm not getting choked up, but it's just, it's, it's just devastating. And then he says, but, and the light was there. So he had the chance to go to heaven, but he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it because he said, but then dad would be alone. So I stayed back to be with dad, which uh, my tears at this point are like welling the fuck up. Keep in mind, this is like a five minute story. Not even I'm drawing this out much longer than the movie did. He's like, I did this to stay with dad. But, uh, but then dad, dad died too. And dad chose to leave. And, uh, and then he's like, and then I've just been here waiting for a friend. So I guess dad this whole time is like declared insane even because he's like spending his fortune. He's like an inventor. He's spending his fortune all this time, everything to make a machine so that you can put a ghost in there and it'll re um, create their essence, give them their body back, make, make them alive again. And he doesn't get to use it because he's, he's afraid basically that if he uses it and it doesn't work, that Casper will be lost. And then he's taken away and he passes away or whatever happens to him. So Casper's just been here for like 80, 90 years, I guess 80 years, because it's a 90s movie, just being a ghost and just waiting for somebody to come. And like every, there's people that come in the house, like to get like scared or take a picture of the ghost. And he's just like, hey, don't, don't run away. I just want to talk. And like, just being nice. Oh my gosh, sad, sad movie. But it's fun too. <laughs> so, so sad, but you're going to laugh. Like it, it was, it was fun. There's some cool cameos in there. Like Clint Eastwood, Mel Gibson, Rodney Dangerfield, they all make cameos of this at some point. And the CGI is dated, but I mean, they're just doing ghosts. So it, it works. And, um, happy ending, sad fucking ending. My God, is it sad, but, uh, still uplifting and fun. And, um, just, one thing after the other with Casper, though, the whole movie is just an absolute gut punch. Like, this guy is like a, a sacrificing angel. Just like anything and everything, he just, he's always at a loss. But I did watch a cartoon um, recently, and everybody runs away, animals run away, and he befriends a fox. And he finally has a friend who's a fox. This is just a sidebar. Cause I just thought how I was watching with the girlfriend and I, th I said like, you know, how fucked up would it be? Like he makes this friend with the Fox and then the Fox dies. Sure enough. That's what fucking happens. The Fox runs off and he's like, Hey, where are you going? And you hear like a loud noise and you just see like the butt of the Fox. Like he's in the bush or something. Like he got hit by a car. Or he got shot. Um, and then Casper's sobbing. Like, I just wanted a friend. I finally made a friend. Now I've lost it. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, why do they keep making these fucked up things? And then the fox ghost comes back to life. And then Casper has a fox ghost friend, which to me, I get the sweet message. But in my mind, I was just like, so you're telling kids that if you kill your friends, they'll be with you forever. It's fucked up. Sure. I mean, they, I, for all I know, they weren't thinking like that back then. But that's this is exactly how it came off to me. Just Casper in general is just a very fucked up franchise. I think that it made it a little more messed up because they made him a kid. It couldn't have just been like a kid ghost. It actually was a kid who died. But if you're looking for something different, like you've shown the kid Beetlejuice a few times, or um, maybe if Beetlejuice is too harsh, Casper is, is like right there. Um, you know, you have your your staples. You got Charlie Brown's Christmas. You got Ichabod, um, which is my favorite, uh, the Disney Ichabod. Um, there's lots of like Halloween-esque stuff. You know, like now you have like Monster House, Goosebumps. There's always something coming out. I think Casper is is a fun one, um, especially for like parents now. Like that hits home, like '95. Like you remember watching that on like YTV and stuff like that. 
I remember watching an OIT, and that's probably the last time I did watch it. I didn't remember how sad it was, but that's a good time. Um, I guess if you like to be sad, but it'll be a good time with your kid. You can talk about it after. Um, and then for movies, um, so I love Scream 1. I put it in my Perfect Horror Movies episode, and Scream 2 is really, really good too. Um, fellow podcasters from Afro Horror, they included it in their Perfect Horror Movies. Um, so with all the news that Scream 5 is coming out and all the cast for the most part is returning, I thought I would watch Scream 4, um, which is kind of, it's like a canon reunion. So like, it's like 98, nine, or it's like 97, 99 and 2001 or something like that. And then this movie came out in 2011. So it's like, again, it's like 10 years. Cause now we're going to be doing 2021 or whenever it comes out, that'll be another 10 years. But this is canon, so it goes three, four, five. So everything that happens is different. But basically, in this movie, it's touching on everything that happened in the other series. It's touching on remakes. It's touching on like reunions, and and as Scream does, it's making fun of them and poking reference to them. But I kind of liked it. It's to me, it's kind of like the H two H two O to like the twenty eighteen Halloween. Um, you know, you're getting that reunion for the second time. You're seeing stuff for the second time, but it's like new. It's different while still touching on like some of the older things and older elements. Um, but this had a lot of surprising faces in there. Like you had Anthony Anderson, you had, um, um, everybody's back by the way, except for Jamie Kennedy. He's obviously not back because I'm pretty sure he's dead in the second or third movie might be the third movie. And, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Adam, Adam, uh, Adam Brody's in it even for a bit. You got Hayden, uh, Panettiere, Patton. I think, I, I don't know. I'm butchering it. You got Allison Brie. You got, um, Oh, um, it's, uh, one of the Calkin brothers. Now I can't think of it. And then you have, um, my God, I sound like such an old person. I want to keep saying Jessica Roberts, but it's not her. It's, it's the other Roberts. Oh my fuck. Anyways, the cast is pretty good. Uh, still can't stand Courtney, Courtney Cox. Like she just drives me ape shit. I don't understand the love for her or for Jennifer Aniston. If we're talking friends, castmates, um, yeah, don't I don't like it, but uh, the the kills are cool. There are some cool kills. Um, I like the whole like stab meta stuff. So like stab is like the scream franchise within the scream world. So then you have like stab six into stab stab seven. That's like the opener. So you have like Anna Paquin and um, oh, what's her name, uh, Kristen Bell. They're they're like like you know how scary movie used to make fun of them. You'd have like, like two hot girls, like commenting on something. And that would be like the beginning of the movie, whether it was like Pamela Anderson or, um, I think it was like Jenna Jameson or Carmen Electra. Anyways, it was that sort of thing. That sort of like shtick. Um, anyway, I, I did find it enjoyable. Um, I didn't think it was great, but it was fun to see kind of that, um, reunion element again. Always good to see Neb Campbell. Uh, I think she's great. Um, she plays the role, a very muted uh, role as opposed to like previous films. If you're going to watch Scream anything, watch one or two. Um, but kind of cool to get you in the mood for all of like the new Scream hype that's going on right now. And I sound, I know it sounds kind of hypey. I did just watch it. I literally watched it today and I already am running out of details because it wasn't very remember, like memorable, <laughs> rememberable. Um, but it, um, 
Yeah. I mean, it, I kind of figured out who it was near like the middle. Um, but I had seen it before, but it kind of all clicked near the middle. Um, but it definitely throws you for more of a loop, um, than previous entries while also not sidebar. Like, like I remember, I think it was three where it was just like, you know how you thought it was this person? Well, it wasn't this person cause it was this person. And it actually wasn't this person because I was working with this person and actually you wouldn't have known it was me because I'm a completely made up character with a made up backstory. And you're like, what the fuck? So it, it kind of does that a little bit in this one, but it's much more grounded and much more believable as to who the character or the killer uh, is. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool for the factor that it's a reunion before the reunion. Watch Scream 1 or 2. I've talked about them numerous times. They're fantastic films. Excited to see what they're doing with them. I'm excited for just new horror movies in general. There's been so many movies that have just been ready to go and just aren't out. Um, other than that, though, that's it. Like, I got a lot of movies on my list. Again, like the shows. If I if I think of anything like, oh, yeah, I did watch that. That could go on here. I'll, I'll add it in. But other than that, yeah, that's all I have. So... <laughs> This sounds so rushed, and I'm sorry, guys, but uh, now we get to enjoy the good part, because here are the stories. Now, this story comes from us, comes to us from Edwin Crow, and it's titled, My Father Punished Me When I Talked to Ghosts. I've been blind since birth. As I grew up, everything was described to me in such vivid detail that I didn't even realize why it was that important to see especially having no reference point to compare it. We lived in a single-floor ranch house. That's what father told me. In my mind, of course, I could see, although unlike how a sighted person could. I had spatial awareness. I knew where my bedroom was, where the bathroom, living room, and kitchen were. Each wall had its own texture. I don't know if that was done on purpose, or I could feel things others never really noticed. I rarely fell over. Only a father, or one of the visitors, put something somewhere they shouldn't have. It was usually the visitors, and father would shout. They visited infrequently, and only briefly when they did. Father said I shouldn't speak to them, that it unsettled him. He'd worry when I saw something he didn't, saw it with my ears or by touch. Ellie was the first. She seemed very sweet. She asked me my name, and why my face was so messed up. She was in the living room, I could hear where she sat from her breaths, harsh nasal sounds, as if her nose was blocked. When father had a cold, he'd always breathe through his mouth, big labored breaths, as he wasn't used to it. When people mentioned my face, I always touched it, trying to work out why it was so strange to them. When I asked if I could touch theirs, there was always a pause. I guess sighted people never did that. I mean, why would they need to? When I asked Ellie if I could touch her face, she reluctantly agreed, but moments later, father, en father entered the room and asked me who I was speaking to. I told him, nobody. He would always punish me when I spoke about them. I think it scared him. He'd take my arm and march me off. I'd be knocked off balance and disoriented, to the point where when he finally set me down, my hands would frantically search my surroundings until I knew where I was. It was usually my bedroom, though every now and then he'd leave me outside, in the middle of nowhere. That was the worst. I would be lost, and scared. He told me about the road that ran in front of the house, and explained that the sounds I heard were cars, that they'd kill me if they touched me, 
Those sounds were my only means of recognizing my surroundings. So I'd wait until I heard one, and then I would know which way to run back to the house. I heard Ellie that evening. She whispered to me, saying she was scared. I whispered back, but she didn't hear. I asked father about Ellie. He didn't want to talk about her. I asked him why. He didn't reply. When I told him that she asked about my face, he asked me how I responded. I told him I wanted to touch hers. He laughed, though I knew he wasn't happy. I could hear the difference. When you laugh for pleasure, your mouth is wide open. But when you pretend, your mouth is almost closed. To me, the difference is obvious. It wasn't until I was older that he explained. He said we lived in a special place connected to the other world. That sometimes dead people slip through. People who died in pain and wanted to reach the living. He explained that because I couldn't see, I was able to tune into that. That they knew I was listening when others weren't. He said I had to ignore it. Otherwise, they'd... Otherwise, he told me, they'd latch on and never leave me. All the dead want is to be alive again, he said. It was dangerous and they would trick me. He said he knew how to deal with them, but he couldn't help that they became attached to me. Alex appeared to me a few years later. She told me she was lost, didn't know where she was. I told her I wasn't allowed to speak to her. Still, she pleaded for help. I kept quiet, knowing what would happen if I said anything. Did you speak to them, father asked? Though I was upset, I told him no. I wish I could help her. I knew what it was like to be lost, and it scared me. Alex didn't whisper to me at all. I'd ignored her, and she ignored me. Father saved me, and I was thankful. After Alex, I knew what I needed to do, so I did it. The spirit stopped bothering me after that, for a long time. That was until Sarah appeared. Sarah didn't give me quite a chance to be quiet. I was on my own sitting in the living room and listening to the television. Help, she said. I need to find a way out. I stayed silent. You can hear me, can't you? She said, surprised. I'm not allowed to speak to you, I told her. Please, she begged. I'm scared. I'm lost. I want to see my dad. I gripped the arms of the chair and told her I wasn't allowed. He's dead, she said. But I didn't answer. Your father is dead, she said again. I wasn't going to fall for it. I heard banging from around the room as things began to fly, and the shelves began to shake. Stop it, I shouted, and it did. Please help me leave, she said. I wasn't going to talk to her. I did the only thing I thought would help. I unlocked the front door, hoping she'd run out and get lost, just like I would do. When I heard from her no more, I locked the door and sat back down. I listened intently for any sign she was still there. Except for the sounds of the TV, everything was silent. I hate it when my heart raced. I became all too aware of the tick-tock feeling of the rise and fall within my chest, like it was about to explode. When I heard my father's voice, I screamed. Son, he said, I need your help. I think I'm dying. I did what he told me to do. I didn't speak. If he did die, he would never leave me. Instead, I raced out into the open air and shouted for help. I shouted until my voice was hoarse. I heard the sounds of cars racing along the road in front of the house. I shouted until I heard someone respond. It was a woman. What's wrong, they asked. I told them I think my father was dying. They asked what had happened to my face. I pleaded with them to help me, and they promised they would. I sat down on the grass and waited. Sometime later, the woman returned to me and asked if she could hold my hand. I'm so sorry, she told me. I heard the sounds of sirens and the people rushing. 
I asked what was going on. The woman said she was there for me. As the noise died down, a man asked me a question. I'm a paramedic, he said. What happened to your face? I told him I was fine. He asked if I was sure, and I told him I was. He asked if I minded him touching my face. I said it was okay. A moment later, I felt a pressure release from around my forehead, and the air felt cold against my skin. It sounded as if he were peeling an orange. I imagined that in my head and worried he'd expose my insides. I screamed and asked what he was doing. He told me everything was going to be okay, and the woman squeezed my hand, telling me to be brave. I didn't know what it was what I was experiencing. I felt a tight pain within my head, like when you smash your shin against something hard, followed by something I've come to understand as bright. It hurts so much. I began to cry. What happened to your eyes? The paramedic asked. I said I was blind. He asked to check them. The pain returned when he examined them. Do you know him? The man asked the woman who had helped me. She told him that I had been screaming for help and that she had come to my aid, but that she had never met me before. How long have you had your eye injury? He asked me. I told him I had been blind from birth. He asked me if I could see his fingers. I told him no. He asked if I could open my eyes. I said I didn't know what he meant. He asked if he could open them for me. I didn't respond. Then I felt his fingers on my face. Fingers covered in something rubbery. Suddenly it became bright. Again. And I screamed. He tried to calm me. The woman squeezed my hand again. I didn't know what was happening. Things I couldn't describe came to me. It was like it always was, but multiplied 100-fold and so much more real. I carried on screaming as a fuzzy form came into view. Just breathe, okay? The paramedic said. Everything will be fine. When was the last time you saw? As my heart began to calm and my breathing slowed, I began to, I became distracted by what I was experiencing. It overwhelmed me. I wanted to cry, and I did. How long has it been? How long has it been? He asked again. I've never seen anything before, I told him. I was told to keep an eye mask on for most of the day, only taking it off at night at first to allow my eyes time to adjust. At the same time, I was placed in the custody of my aunt and uncle. At the same time, I was placed in, cu in the custody. At the same time, I was placed in the custody of my aunt and uncle, and I didn't even know it at first. They were shocked at what happened to me and that I had never attended school. The past few years have been a roller coaster ride. The doctor said I may never have perfect vision, though what little I have is a godsend, and I'll take what I can get. I've only recently been learning to read and write, so I apologize if my English isn't isn't the greatest. It's the best I can do. I've been asking my aunt what happened to my father, but all she says is that he died of a heart attack. I asked what sort of man he was. She says he was her brother, and she'll love him no matter what. My uncle doesn't want to talk about him at all. I've been using the computer a lot recently and really enjoying the internet. I can't believe such a thing exists. After being so lonely for so long, I can talk to whoever I want, when I want, though I'm wary of that. After all, how do I know if who I'm speaking to is alive? No one seems to share my father's concerns about that. Today, though, I was on a forum discussing the spirit world. I was so happy to find people who I could relate to. And someone curious about my username sent me a link to an article on a true crime website. It was about my father, and it mentioned me by name. They asked me who I was and if I was the same person. According to the article, my mother had gone missing soon after my birth, 
It said I'd been bound so that I couldn't see, that my father always wanted a daughter. They found 14 bodies in the basement. They said one got away, a girl by the name of Sarah Frank. She was the one to call the police. They found father's car parked around the back of the house. They supposed he carried his victims into the basement via the storm entrance and left them there. Sarah had managed to get away after she agreed to be his daughter following four days of sustained torture. She stabbed him with a knife he placed on the counter to butter some toast. I, I didn't want to believe it. And, I, and I'm not sure I would have if it weren't for the names of the victims, two of which stuck out. Ellie Farmer and Alex Riddle. I'd spoken to them both in the living room. To this day, though, I wonder if my father had been honest with me about a single thing in his life. Throughout it all, one question remains about all other. Throughout it all, one question remains above all others. Did I speak to Ellie and Alex before or after he killed them? And lastly, this story is titled Mommy Sleeps in the Basement, written by Haley Hendershot. Speak louder, please. I put my hand up next to my ear from the back of the room, signaling that she would need to raise her voice. She took a deep breath. I could see anxiety turning her cheeks be red as strands of blonde hair began to fall out of the same nappy ponytail she wore every day. There was something about her so familiar, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. With her face glued to the paper, too afraid to make eye contact, she quickly sputtered out. Hi, my name is Paisley Jackson, and this is my poem called My Family. Paisley was a shy little girl. In fact, she was one of the quietest students I had ever had in my ten years of teaching, which I guess being the youngest of eleven will do that to anyone. Surprisingly, she was very smart, unlike the rest of her siblings who were dumber than a box of rocks. Lord, the Jackson kids were such a headache, except for Paisley, of course. I just wish I could have given her more opportunities to improve her future. Don't get me wrong, I tried to help Paisley. I, I really did. I gave her clothes, food, and even had funds lined up for her. But living dirt poor in a shack out in the middle of the desert was a bad hand to be dealt in life. Besides, no matter what I did, it wouldn't have made a difference. Everyone knows that the cycle of poverty is almost impossible to break. I crossed my legs, pen in hand, preparing for yet another bland story about a family I'd never get to meet. If you've ever worked with underprivileged kids, you know that guardian involvement is quite rare. When it came to interest in the daughter's education, Paisley's parents were no exception. I have two mommies, one named Betty, who can make good spaghetti. I call her mom. She's the one that married to my dad, Tom. One named Claire, with pretty yellow hair. I call her mommy. Dad calls her his project, his hobby. Oh my god. Okay. Being smack dab in the middle of Utah, I've seen hundreds of polygamous families, so this didn't strike me odd. So this didn't strike me odd. Besides, even though polygamy is illegal, I try to keep my nose in my own business. Mom takes care of us all. She can do that because she's so tall. Mommy wears a pretty silver bracelet. She wears it because she's so famous. Wouldn't be the first time I saw kids coming up with stories about celebrity parents to add excitement to their ordinary lives. I just didn't expect it to come from Paisley. Mommy has me and Tommy. He's one of my older brothers. Mom is a lot older. She has all the others. I cringed. That meant that one of Paisley's mothers had given birth to nine children. I couldn't imagine going through that many pregnancies. Dad says me and Tommy are a gift from God. 
He'll never hit us with a rod. His pride and joy is Tommy, but he says the only person he truly loves is Mommy. I looked up from my grade book with the line about a rod catching my attention. However, this wasn't the first time one of my students had accidentally reported abuse. Truth is, CPS picks and chooses who they want to help. Mom is having another baby. She's mad Dad wants to name it Daisy. Mommy can't have no more kids. Her last one died of SIDS. Shifting in my seat, I scribbled down a note reminding myself to deliver my daughter's old baby clothes to the Jackson shack. As a mother myself, I know babies can be expensive. Dad said she did it on purpose, because she wanted to run off and join the circus. Mom says it wasn't her fault. I promised to keep that secret in the me and her vault. I shook my head in sadness. How could someone blame a grieving mother for something she couldn't control? Mommy was the one Dad chose. He watched all of her school shows. They were joined in the night. Daddy says inside her is a lot of fight. Mom is just a cover. Dad doesn't really love her. I threw my hands up and adjust your meaning. Stop. I had taught my students. But Paisley didn't look up. She continued to read, oblivious to my disappointed frown. Obviously, one of her siblings put her up to this as a joke. Mommy says she needs to get out. She wants to show me what life is all about. Dad gets mad. It's his biggest pet peeve. Mommy is sad. She just wants to leave. Mommy sings to me her favorite song. Mom says Dad's head is wired wrong. Shaking my head, I sighed. Another child with so much potential and such a kind heart was stuck in the middle of a lover's quarrel that didn't even involve her. Last birthday, I wanted to take Mommy to see her favorite basketball team. Mom made me a cake with frosted buttercream. I got to go see the Knicks, but Dad said he made a mistake he couldn't fix. Nothing is the same anymore. I don't know why for sure. Now Dad cries at night alone. He asks God, what have I done? To Mom, he no longer tends. She hopes the baby won't make amends. Paisley rose her head up with a smile, looking for my approval. Although I was appalled at the inappropriateness of her poem, I didn't want to break her spirits. She clearly was very proud of it, and scolding her for something that wasn't her wrongdoing was just going to send that little girl back into the shell that I've been trying to break her out of for months. So instead I clapped, making the rest of the class, who were too young to understand the gravity of the situation, applaud too. Mrs. June, I brought a picture of Mommy for extra credit. It's got one more part of the poem. Can I show the class? I nodded my head, thinking there couldn't be possibly. I nodded my head, thinking there couldn't possibly be any more details worse than what she'd already presented. Paisley reached into the front of her pocket, on her old, worn-out hand-me-down dress, pulling out an old, aging photo. She flipped the flaking picture around, displaying as if, displaying it as if it was her most prized possession. My blood ran cold. I finally figured out why Paisley looked so familiar to me. In what seemed to be a school photograph, smiling ear to ear, exactly like Paisley, was a young woman by the name of Claire Daisy. She was a high school student popular for her ability to gain the lead in every school play that went missing without a trace 12 years prior. She was last seen leaving the theater practice late one night, but then she just vanished. No sign of a struggle, no witnesses, no evidence, no body, nothing. Her case was covered on every news station in Utah for a while because of how peculiar it was until people lost interest. Paisley happily continued, I was so in shock I couldn't stop her as she read off the back of the picture. There's one thing I don't understand and maybe you'll have to answer at hand. There's one thing I don't understand and maybe you'll have the answer at hand. If dad's love for mommy will, will never sway, why did he treat her that way? Mom lays her head on a nice soft bed, but Mommy sleeps in the basement under a big slab of cement.
fuck. So yeah, guys, that will wrap up this Halloween episode. Like, I mean, I it's not that I, I'm not really feeling Halloween this year, but I mean, I am just, I don't know about you guys, but I am just mentally wiped. It has just been nonstop. 2020 has just been nonstop to the point where, like, people are just getting away from everything, like, trying to back away. It's just so overwhelming. And the fact that we can't go out, we can't blow off steam, we can't have fun with summer. Spring and summer are long gone. Fall, we barely got to enjoy. September, September blew, blew away, and October is just, you know, it's it's done. I, like, even this episode, I've, I've been recording it for so long, and it's not even ready. And I'm sure November's going to be the same thing, and next thing you know, it's going to be winter. And it's just, dude, this year, it's just, yeah, it, just, it, was a, it was a roller coaster. So, I mean, putting myself through this, this strain of horror, it's just... Unless it's something like comfort food, like a classic universal horror movie, or maybe like some Hammer, or, you know, a classic Hitchcock, or maybe The Exorcist. I'm honestly not not in the mood. That being said, there is there is some horror I am interested in watching. I do want to watch The Haunting of Bly Manor, um, just because I liked the, the you know, the predecessor series. Um, and I, I like the source material, Turning of the Screw. Um, is it Turning of the Screw or Turning of the Shrew? Anywho, I'm definitely interested to watch that. Shudder's got some great stuff on there. There's a couple series on there that I, I want to really get into. Um, Amazon's got lots and lots of great pulpy horror, like, you know, like Italian Giallo and um, just some, like, some, like, raunchy exploitative and, um, I don't know, kind of, like, grindhousey like, 60s, 70s films that, I, you know, I really want to, like, get my teeth into, but... As far as watching it for Halloween, I think I kind of missed the bill there. I've been, like, really falling back on Star Trek and Twilight Zone, which, again, that's another one I could have said. Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. I didn't hear, like, amazing things about it, but um, I do want to really start watching that. So it's on my stick. Um, I am going to get to it. But right now, yeah, I'm, I'm watching a lot of Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Original Series, Star Trek Continues. Uh, and I'm actually going to get into the original Battlestar Galactica, which I'm pretty excited about that. But until then, folks, um, I know Halloween's a bit different this year. If, if you got some kiddos, you know, maybe keep them at home. Put on, like, a nice movie. It doesn't even have to be scary. Um, just, you know, have some family time. I know, like, I'm sure some people are absolutely sick of family time. But Halloween is, is essential for kids. Uh, you know, whatever creed, race, religion you are, it is, like, a very North American thing that kids should enjoying at some point in their life whether they're teenagers or you know like partying or little kids trick-or-treating you know it's it's just a it's just an essential so you know whether you have to go out and buy some candy or you know maybe see some relatives that are in your bubble to get some candy or just watching a movie with some popcorn or you know anything playing a board game you know having some spooky music on or something like that whatever's in your budget whatever you can do you know just try and make the holiday as special, special as you can for those little guys and if you're a big halloween people um and you can't go to a party this year and you're an adult tough shit um if you stay home and do your goddamn part this will be over sooner than later um so i can't really stress that enough uh, all the naysayers and whatever i'm not going to get on that soapbox but you know just just do your part um not looking at like our our, our southern brother there but uh that that country is a little bit of a shithole but i'm not saying everybody is just do your part keep safe this halloween um there's, there's nothing scarier this Halloween than actually getting sick with something that could cripple you for the rest of your life, if not kill you. 
or kill your relatives. Um, <laughs> and on that uplifting note, I will uh, bid you adieu. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. Um, you know, stay rad, um, be excellent to each other, and uh, Tyler out. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.